0: Hello again, I'm Steve Longo, and I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Rock and Roll Show and Tell, coming to you from the No Gloom Ballroom. This episode features my old friend, Stanley Sheldon, bass player, serious bass player. You might remember a little record from the 70s called Frampton Comes Alive. Well, Shelley was the bass player. Uh, on all of those tracks. And he's got some stories to tell. So check it out right here on Rock and Roll Show and Tell. And poof! I've got all kinds of buttons here, man. So ready, set, go! Oh man, how long has it been? 40 years. At least 40 years, (sighs) right? because
1: the bass solo just came up again
0: (laughs) I'm not sure whether it's my iPad or what it is but hey listen the bass solo
1: 40 years yeah it's been 40 years man Wow
0: Wow 40 years believe it or not and you know I gotta tell you I'm watching that clip and it took me and occurred to me there's probably a couple of things because of how you know how we met and when we met, that about Bobby and that whole thing, Bobby Mayo, that connect the dots a little bit. So I, I have to ask, and even though this is not a interview, I have a questions because I have questions. Um, Shoot, sure. uh, how do well Mayo in Rat Race Choir? We lost our guitar player in '70 whatever it was, and Bob uh, joined the band. And that's how you met Bob. That's Yeah, well, that's how we, because he was playing on the circuit, so that's how I met him, because he was from Yonkers, I was from White Plains, you know, the band, local. But um, he was already playing with Frampton. He was already going to England, 73, and I think that whole thing was just starting up. Right. So, so, and I'm watching the clip of you guys playing, and I see him playing that, the Stratocaster, that, that, you know, natural finish Stratocaster and i did you i I can't even remember it's on the face of the guitar it's down uh, like where the controls are but there's a he had a wily coyote sticker
1: on the guitar and you know uh, i vaguely remember that but very it's kind of a a uh i don't know it's a really vague memory but somehow it, it, it tweaked I think I saw that. You had, had a Wiley
0: you, guy. You would have said something to him. I know you. I know you would have. You would have asked him about because I asked him about it. I couldn't stop looking at it. Was and that it,
1: his guitar, or yeah. was it Peter's guitar?
0: No, no, that was his guitar before he. But, he he I mean, probably was, played it. He probably played that guitar in Doc Holiday. He did play it in Doc Holiday with with yes, he did, and he had, and it was, it had a finish on it. I don't remember what the original finish was. And this is the great story about that thing, right? And I asked him, you know, it's it's natural wood, the guitar, and I don't, don't know whether he stained it or what it was, but you can still see the outline of Wiley e. Coyote. And I said to him, you know, what is that? And he said, ah, you know, the guitar, when I was a kid, I had a sticker on it, he said, and I, I had the guitar refinished, I had, to, had to take it taken down to the wood, but it stained the wood, and I could never get it out.
1: So oh you know the story about how Bob became a guitar player? Such a very proficient one? I do, but but please enlighten our, our listeners. All right. Well, somewhere before I had met him, he was in a horrific auto accident. Yeah. And his hand, it was his, must have been his right hand, and he lost all the knuckles in that hand.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Believe it or not so piano became very challenging you know hour after hour playing piano he just couldn't do it for a while yeah you know eventually he got back to where he he couldn't even tell but he he started playing guitar because it was something else he could do without uh uh taxing his his joints too much
0: and and i remember that story and it's and it's weird because i never think of mayo as a as a keyboard player. Uh, he never played keyboards when he was with See, us. I only think of him as a keyboard That's player. That's just so bizarre. Because I mean, I have to, you know, once we finish this up, and, you know, I'm going to rotate, i, I got to have you back, because we're not even going to scratch the surface today. But, we got a um, lot to
1: talk about.
0: We do, man. We we definitely do. Because, um, you know, I, I said to um, my wife, who produces the show, you know, and she's like my best friend on earth, and I said, did you ever meet Shelly? And she said, no, I don't think... I, I was with you then, and that was, I mean, we were like 70s, early 80s us was when we started up, right? You and I were hanging
1: in 1985, my ex and I split up. I was, you know, working with Lou Graham at the time. Right, on, I remember that. On his solo work. That's when you and I met, and I, I moved over to this little funky place in White Plains with Chris Peterson. right. You remember Chris? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Another drummer. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of—I uh, don't know—I I, was—I was still using using all hard drugs, and it was a bad time, except ah. for the good things that happened at that time. But that's when we met, and we started playing tennis and uh, just that's hanging right. out it So it was nineteen eighty-eighty-five or six. So we no I'm sorry. We... That's too early, Steve. It was eighty. <laughs> Yeah,
0: it was, you're right, because I remember, I mean, I stayed friends and connected to Bobby all over the years, when, in fact, the last night that he played with our band, before he went off to go and do this thing, and it was 73 still, so you guys, you know, had to wind it up, Um, but uh, he, I had dropped him off at Carolyn's apartment and he, oh. he was so drunk. He didn't Paris, or, or White Plains. White Plains. White Plains. It, well, she lived on North Broadway there. Or yeah, North, yeah. And I'm parked in front of them saying, y'all okay, man, you know, and I'm giving him the kind of, you know, tearful last night of the band thing. And he's like, "Yeah." I said, Bob, I got to go home, man. <laughs> and
1: Ooh. you got to realize I hadn't met Bobby yet. I know that. I know that. When so, I flew to New York... It was 1975, so a couple of years went by. And Peter, he was hanging with Peter, you're right, in 74. They were going over to England together. Bobby even came back with a British accent, which <laughs> yeah, I used I to give a shit about. Oh. <laughs> right, mate. A, no, no, know, thought, it happens.
0: It happens. I thought you were from Yonkers. No, no, no. It's, it's a misnomer. oh <laughs> I say, Shelley. Uh,
1: so... <laughs> i've got a great story about bob when i i flew to new york in 1975 to audition this was right after tommy bolin and i had moved to la together looking for a singer and we we never found the singer but tommy got an audition with deep purple and i auditioned with frampton and we both got the gig this was after Tommy did the Billy Cobham album, the Spectrum album.
0: No, oh, I love that record, man. The famous
1: fusion, the seminal record.
0: Love it, love it.
1: You know, everybody did. So that's when, uh, about the time, you know, I met Peter. And so it's, a, it's, it's kind of a convoluted story. I'll give you the nutshell version. After coming out of Colorado, there was this whole milieu there, Joe Vitale, Kenny Passarelli that were playing with Walsh. And mm-hmm. I was playing with Tommy. Tommy gave Walsh Passarelli his bass player. That that became Barnstorm. And then Tommy and I continued on and moved to LA together. And then we got the gigs with Deep Purple and, and Frampton, respectively. This was 1975. And then. I met Peter because of Kenny Passarelli, who got the gig with Elton John, and Peter had just called him to say, you want to play? He said, I can't. I'm playing with Elton. Ah. And see, so you should try this other guy, Stanley. <laughs> and so that's how I got the audition with Peter. So Passarelli. Then, uh,
0: ah, that's very
1: cool. That's a good guy. So that was a whole Colo- That's a whole show in and of itself, <laughs> the Colorado <laughs> connection. But when uh, I flew to... to New York to meet Peter and the guys to audition with John Sayomus and Bob Mayo It was uh, spring of 75 and I walked into SIR and, and met everybody Leslie West was there because he was friends with he, he was the first guy I saw, he was wearing like platform shoes, he looked like the hippopotamus in uh, the, uh, uh, Fantasia, you know oh, dancing around God. <laughs> and i met i met bob and bobby <laughs> he's got this sixth sense he's born with perfect pitch yeah i knew but that he also had other he told me you're a virgo aren't you because he's a virgo and he when i met him goes you're a virgo aren't you actually how the fuck could you know that and i yeah well, i'm a virgo so Bobby and I bonded from day one, you know. Virgo, what? what what's Virgo. the date
0: there, Virgo?
1: Well, it's between uh, September something and the end no, of September. No, your date, the date of your birth. I'm September. I'm September nineteenth, and I forget Bobby's birthday. Bobby's was early. I think it was seven
0: or six because mine is twenty one. So you're a Virgo. A
1: yowza. told you. Guilty. <laughs> so i was so uh taken aback when bobby's you know just 29th, you're a virgo Bob. how could he know that but he had special divine gifts he was perfect pitch and you know he, special special musician he was a very
0: um and it was it, what really blew my mind you know i mean i played with him for the better part of a year and of course i played with him after that when, you know between You guys going out, we'd go and play with uh, hamburgers and mayo. The burgers. Yeah. Burgers and mayo. Hamburgers, yeah. And and I I told you the thing, the Atlantic City story and all that whole thing. But um, when I was watching the clip that I played at the beginning of the show, it's the same guy. I mean, it's absolutely the same guy. He stood the same way. He grooved the same way. It didn't matter. Bobby was
1: an incredible rhythm guitar player. Oh, my God. You know, I've, I've played with Peter this this decade for five years, and he's got an amazing band. But when it comes to just laying down those rhythms, uh, you know, spontaneously, it was it was nothing rehearsed. We just went in and did it, man. And and Bobby, Bobby had. I recognize that from him. I, I he was that.
0: That's what he was. We did when he was in the band. We did everything from Stratus to uh, 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 Stevie Wonder. Ride my car. Right. Nuts. Nuts.
1: Yeah, Bobby and I we we bonded immediately. We, we we loved all the same music from day one. You know, he knew all the Tommy Bolin stuff. You know, Peter didn't know who fuck Tommy Bolin was, <laughs> but but Bobby did.
0: Yeah. And, well. Uh, yeah. He was great that way. I remember he had a ridiculous record collection. I mean, just more vinyl than uh, than a bondage club. But yeah, uh, he yeah
1: he was he was an octopus everywhere.
0: Everywhere he was not. And do you remember um, when he built the studio in the basement with the what was an Otari sixteen,
1: the one inch
0: sixteen track or something like that?
1: At that house he bought. Yeah. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time with him down there. We, we would cover Marvin Gaye tracks and try to duplicate it, you know, and he was really good at that.
0: Yeah, he was amazing You know, we'd at play it
1: for people, like, they couldn't tell the difference, you know. He, uh, I
0: remember he was the first one that played me when uh, Steve Winwood came out, uh, Higher Things. We're on our way to a gig together. And he's, and I I could never figure it, you know, Bob, why, you know, don't you want to not gig? Nah, I got to play, man. I got to play. I got to play. And he just had to be out there. Yeah, the stuff
1: he did with with Foreigner, Paul and Oates. Yeah. uh, Robert Plant. There's a whole story about the Robert Plant gig, because I was playing with Richie Hayward at the time. And we had our own little band, and Bob came in and snagged Richie away from our little thing. <laughs> and I was so pissed. But you know, yeah, I got it. I Love get and it.
0: war. Wow, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, he did get around, and he was, like I said, the guy was. Um, he was so perfect wherever he went. You know, he just fit right in. He I, in our band, and we were a little, we were still kind of finding our way through what were we going to you know, what kind of sound we're going to have. He could just convert into anything. Amazing guy.
1: Bobby could do anything.
0: Yep, yep. True story. So now that we have celebrated the accolades of our departed friend way too soon, Bob Mayo, tell me about Ronan. I need to know about this.
1: You know, this is <laughs> it's kind of an inside industry joke, you know, because Ronan, it's, it's got... The most spectacular players. I mean, I'm the least among them, and I'm so proud and happy to be with them. But uh, in 19. When was it? About 79. I'd been doing the Frampton thing, and I got a call from Ricky Murata, who you know, from (laughs) Harrison. Cousin Ricky. So, yeah, he's your cousin. So he called me. First cousin. Well, you know, then he played with Peter for about a month. Peter was hiring 10 of the greatest drummers in the business and firing them in succession. It was an amazing thing to behold. But I was the recipient of all this meeting of the drummers. You know, I got to meet all my heroes. Wow. And let me give you the short list. Gregor Rico, Andy Newmark, Rick Marotta, Joe Vitale, Jamie Oldacre. God rest in peace. Yeah, uh, rest in peace. Just Gary it. Malabar and the list goes on and on and i met these great drummers within 2 years because siomos you know he had his own problem well like you know the funny thing
0: about the funny thing about siomos is mayo called me up and said uh Have you listened to the record? I said, yeah. He said, can you play it? I said, I don't know why. He said, "Uh, why don't you learn the catalog? Just, you know, come on down. We'll mess around with some songs and see what happens. And I went down there and he had that little set of drums. And I said, what's going on? And he, you know, kind of filled me in about John. I guess, uh, you know, I didn't make the Peters list, but it was fun to learn that stuff. And so, you know, I kind of got to groove with you a little bit on it.
1: Well, Peter was calling up, you know, all his favorite drummers at the time, and the guys he knew, you know, Gregor Rico. I mean, both of Sly's guys, yeah. And then Andy, Andy and I'm Newmark, giving you the chronological. Man. Chronologically, this is how it happened. Gregorico Rico lasted about three weeks. He was too funky for Peter, I guess. <laughs> and, then, and then Andy Newmark, he was too Jewish, dare I say? And oh. then, <laughs> well, oh, well, he wanted a lot of money. I don't want to sound racist, but we wanted a lot of dough, and, and Peter and he didn't want to rehearse. But God bless Andy, no one ever came in without a rehearsal and played it down better than Andy Newmark. No one. Wow, it was unbelievable! We played a, a stadium gig somewhere, and Andy couldn't rehearse, and it was the best show we'd ever done. You know,
0: that's yeah. Well, man, that's hey. Listen, that's uh, that's how it rolls. So, who's the drummer in Ronan now? Who is it? All right, Rick Marotta.
1: All right, your Rick, cousin. cousin
0: Ricky. Okay, I bet that, that, All right, that. Let me get
1: back to that. We started Ronan after I left Frampton. I hadn't really left, but I was doing other things in, in in interim periods. And Waddy had and Rick called me up since I'd met him with Frampton to play with Warren Zevon on the Excitable Boy tour. Oh. That album had just come out with Werewolves of London was a huge hit. Waddy wrote it with Warren, and Rick was the rhythm section. With it was Waddy, Rick, and Don Gronick and, and those guys, you know, the the immediate family.
0: If yeah, know. right.
1: And uh, so I went out with Warren, did that tour for a year. And, and then me and Waddy and Rick decided, hey, let's put our own band together. So basically, Ronan was Linda Ronstadt's core rhythm section. Rick, Waddy, and Dan Dugmore, the great pedal steel guitar yeah. player. And that became Ronan. And no one knows about it because we only toured in Japan—a brief tour here with Rossington Collins band, but not long enough. And uh, so we just went back to Japan. We, we reassembled the band after 40 years, a few months ago, and we, that's where this tapestry is from. You know, behind you, me. As a trio? Are you going out as a trio? No, it was the four of us. It was the original band. Wadi is the singer. Yeah. And dance. Doug Moore sings some songs, it's guitar, it's it's like this exquisite guitar sound, like Rolling Stones meets uh, Neil Young, I mean, it's wow. an incredible guitar sound, and so Rick and I are the rhythm section, and that was Ronin, is Ronin. And so, well, when we talked earlier,
0: you said you were rehearsing, is there something coming up,
1: or what's, you know, what's yeah, happening? well... We uh, we did the gig right before the virus hit. We went to Japan and we arrived home at the end of February, and then everything got shut down. But we we did record. We only did four performances over there, and we have a live recording that we're going to release as a live record. Cool. So I'm pouring. I'm going over that material now and finding out what I have to fix. You know, on bass parts. (laughs) because it was it was thrown together so quickly and we had not seen each other in 40 years but man, it really sounds incredible uh, That's the best stuff, man I mean, you know, it's I,
0: I, I'm all about that, you know uh, perpetual chemistry when you meet somebody, especially rhythm section uh, especially when you meet somebody that you lock with time-wise, playing-wise you know that, I mean, you can play with somebody that's, you know well, you get it. I mean, you're the other half of the rhythm section. You can play with somebody who's a school, the best player in the world, and if he doesn't feel one where you do, or he doesn't feel the pickup where you do, it's never going to have that thing. And it's building a foundation of a ho- uh, building a house on a shaky foundation. So, man, I believe me. I hats off. I, you know, I appreciate, especially Ricky. I mean, the guy's like right in the pocket, and um,
1: legend. I mean, come on, that guy is. He's played on so many records.
0: Yeah. I loved,
1: particularly, the stuff he did with uh, with Steely Dan. I mean, come on. Oh, he's, a-
0: he's a monster. He's a monster. Yeah. You know, and now, this is something that I've been meaning to ask him. Is he still getting royalties from
1: Raymond? Oh, yes. <laughs> Rick, Rick is probably going to have to set me up in a retirement home. He doesn't know that yet. Wow. Uh, but- you know, all those guys, Waddy and Dougmore became Nashville's most valuable player because he's a pedal steel player living in Nashville. And he is the he is I'm not just saying that, he's Nashville's most beloved musician. Wow. So I'm I'm in really good company with Rick and Danny and Waddy. You know, Waddy's another one. The guy is, you know, his reputation with the Rolling Stones, the Keith, and he's it's funny, you know, when Linda Ronstadt would describe Waddy and 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 uh, Dan, she would say, "Well, Dan is the Neil Young expert, and <laughs> Waddy is, is the Rolling Stones expert for me." So, you know, when Linda would cover songs like "Tumbling Dice" or whatever, yeah, you know, she would she would go to those guys, and and Ricky was the drummer then. So all three of them were in that band. Uh, that was her best band, I thought, you know.
0: Yeah, she right. had a lot
1: of great bands, the Eagles. I mean, come
0: on. Well, you know, speaking of that, and I keep bringing this up, um, have you seen that um, the documentary that's out there? Not the one with uh, Jacob Dylan, but the other one. Um, why do I never forget Laurel Canyon? Laurel Canyon. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Laurel yeah, Canyon. There's, there's been so many Thunder in the Valley. Laurel Canyon is a series. It's actually right? two
0: parts. Yeah, it's two parts.
1: Right. So I've. I've been following a lot of that stuff. Uh, Thunder in the Canyon was a great documentary with Jackson and Waddy. Not Waddy. Jackson and and David Crosby were the big uh, talking heads for that one. Yeah. And it was great. But, uh, you know, Crosby's another one (laughs) of those guys that's, you know, so influential. He tells stories about it going over to England and seeing the Beatles in the audience. You know, the Birds influenced the Beatles. Uh, I believe
0: that (laughs) was probably my first favorite band, and the first band, Them and the Rascals, first shows I ever saw. Them and the
1: Rascals.
0: In the county center, in White Plains. And Vanilla
1: Fudge,
0: after them, yeah. Yep, yep, Vanilla Fudge. Oh, my God. I was just talking, I can't remember who it was, talking to somebody the other day, uh, the guy who used to own Speaks in, on Long Island, which was a rock pile and all that, in the action house, um, he managed the fudge. And um, when, uh, when Jeff Beck pulled uh, um, Bogart and Apacy... Beck, Beck, Beck Bogart Apicy. and Apicy. Yeah, did, did you ever wonder how he broke his thumb, Jeff Beck? How did that happen? Well... I, I don't know. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I, it was done for him by a person who had an interest in the vanilla fudge and did not want to see uh, anything take place to disturb them.
1: Is that the truth? Yeah. That's a true
0: story. I mean, I wasn't there, was there, but yeah. Was there a lawsuit? Was there a lawsuit? I don't think so. I think it was. I mean, this—the person that I'm talking about was so actually connected that you weren't suing anybody. You just, you know, exactly. These guys? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs>
1: Sounds like that's a D. Anthony
0: a move or something. Oh, oh, man, I've heard more than one thing about D. Yeah, it's like a D'Anthony move or a Peter Grant type of, you know, yeah. And there's Frank a... Frank you know, Barcelona, all those guys. Frank Barcelona, holy Christmas.
1: I mean, Frank was kind of a sweetheart. He was the best among those guys, but... You know, they really were thugs. I don't Well, you know, think about it. Here we are.
0: We're kids. We're having the time of our lives. We're jumping around, doing our favorite thing. And somebody's giving us money to do it. Right? These guys want in on that, but they can't play. And they can't sing. But they can connive. So if I connive for you, then I'm in the band, kind of.
1: So, I mean, that, really, that's how we got, you know, the 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 collateral to fly to gigs to play every night of the year for a year with, with the Frampton Band, because, you know, D was footing the bill. Yeah. And then when that live album hit, you know, well, okay, Eureka.
0: Yeah, and that, I remember that was a... And it's funny, because the, one of the reasons that I asked you what year um, we were hanging out is because I remember... You know, I guess it was the beginning of the end. Um, Peter was still with Penny, and Penny had left. And Peter was given—he asked Carolyn if she wanted clothes or something. Carolyn said they didn't fit her, and he wound up giving them to the girl I was going out with at the time. So that my ex,
1: my ex, got a lot of those Penny wardrobe
0: clothes too. Well, there you go. So you know, and that nice stuff, right? I mean, I remember it was like, whoa.
1: I wish I had my wardrobe from the seventies. Yeah, I wish. Speaking of wardrobe, I can't wait to see the shirt you're going to send me. Oh, you are on. You are on. In fact,
0: I'm going to. What a segue. You would have thought I paid you for that. I'm. I'm going to play a commercial so that I. So okay, that, I got to pee. Go ahead. Well, this is supposed to let you do that without telling everybody. Go ahead. I'll be here when you get back. Ah. <laughs> Oh man. All right, so anyway, we're going to discuss tennis when. <laughs> well, yeah, now how do you figure that? Well, how do you figure that? I'm going to I if if I was playing tennis with with Stanley in 85. We were living up Putnam We were in the are you talking you... I'm talking to I'm my, talking about that's my wife. Hi. Oh, she's your assistant. She's my
1: well uh, yes. the Yeah. She's a producer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: best contract I ever signed, man.
1: Don't I get it don't I get an introduction?
0: Well, you do. You absolutely do, but the world doesn't. She's uh, shy that way.
1: Yeah, that's right. Paul. What's
0: her name? Lori. Hi Lori.
1: Hi. Hi Stanley.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I you know she's the cutest there is, but how long have we been 39 years, 38. She'll be
1: 40 in December. We'll what? Married. No. We got married
0: in '84. Oh, 40 living again. Okay, yeah, so it's been a while. It's been a while. So Any I'm... more at home like her? Uh no. There's i I'm, I believe me. I'm I, a bachelor. I, I would send you that way if I thought there was anything at the other end of that rainbow. Not. Alright. Nope. <laughs> I got the pick of the litter. Uh but so here's the here's the thing. She says, I said, no, way. I'm trying to figure out what years was with with Stan. And she said, and I said, I was playing tennis. And she said, playing tennis. And I 86. Said, yeah. But where were we playing? Do you remember where
1: we playing? It was somewhere in White Plains where you lived near your mother. Oh, yes. Get me way. Yeah. Get- I have a sharp memory, don't Holy I? Holy
0: Christmas, by you Sam's. do! Yeah. yeah, by Sam's, right on Gedney Way, at those, at the public courts over there. Oh. Ah, it's that's amazing. where it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I told you.
1: You did. <laughs> well, you used to kick my ass, or did I kick your ass? I No, I got a
0: feeling it was pretty close. I don't. I, I think don't have, we just
1: hit. We just hit.
0: I don't have tri- triumphant memories. I think we just had a good time, <laughs> and you know we just knocked the ball it was just us being you know staying in good it was shape fun, man yeah it was fun it was fun so um the uh you know we were talking about um we were talking about bobby we were talking about peter um when when you were doing when you were on that whole big jumbo thing and it's interesting because i was looking at the at the clip and I saw you and Bobby standing together. And I, I never saw you guys play live. What was the setup on stage? It looked like Peter was in the middle, and or was he off stage left, and you guys were stage right?
1: You know, it was it was. Uh, I was just to stage right of the drums, and Bobby would be to my right on, at stage right on keyboard. But when he played guitar, we all it was all of us out front, the three of us. With me in the middle oh okay but uh, most of the time bobby was doing keyboard work right uh, so it was just me and peter on the front line yeah yeah i i get a lot of good you know video time playing with peter back in those days because mm-hmm. it was just he and i you never saw siomas you know or any of the other guys drunk playing drums yeah
0: and what My was the Sally
1: was another one
0: who was it sorry uh, Joe Vitale. Oh, Joe, man. Oh, that's whistle territory, you know, him and, and Walt.
1: That's a whole other story. I'm in a new project with Joe right now. Really? Well, tell. let's talk about the new story. Well, I can't say too much because it's just very, uh, we've just started putting it all together, but we found a singer and we've got, uh, this great guitar player that was playing with Lou Graham, who's kind of, I'm connected through that connection, uh, he finished up with Lou, and this is a whole other uh, show for us, you know, because <laughs> Lou's retired now. But this is the guitar player from Rochester, because that's where he's from. Yeah, Lou, and and the singer we found this guy named Joe Retta is also from Rochester. So we we put this thing together, and we're going to go out and and play the hits of our ex bosses, you know, just like everybody else is doing.
0: Yeah, but you know what, I mean, I'll tell you what, thats it's a great thing to do, and I don't know whether, I, you know, I mean, we haven't spoken in a long, long time, but I uh, got a call from Robin Zander, ah, 2012, saying, uh, what are you doing? And I said... I mean, I
1: mean, everybody's doing it. Look it's, at the, like, the immediate family.
0: It's crazy not to. So, so I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, between gigs, the thing I did with the guys from ACDC, uh, you know, it went the way it went, and you know that was over. So I was kind of free, and I said, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to play. Um, and we wound up putting a band to get good band together. My bass player from down here that I told you Larry Hobbs happens to run the emergency room over at the hospital, but he's a better bass player than he is a doctor, and he's oh. a great doctor um and uh and then and we had mark on guitar, mark hit, and uh it just took off, so Xander says, well, you know Everybody wanted us to play the cheap trick stuff. We, now, the reason he's here is because he doesn't want to do that. He wants to sing Led Zeppelin. He wants to do the who. He well, see, that's
1: do... that's where I'm coming from. Uh-huh. I don't want to play the Francis songs so much. You know, my... My offerings from Frampton would be the, the Motown medley we did, Roadrunner, and then Signed, Seal Delivered, maybe. But we, we can do Lou Graham stuff, and we can do Crosby, Stills, and Nash because of Joe Vitale. And we can. my cousin, who's the keyboard player who kind of set this thing up, he used to play with Rick Danko and uh, Gary Wright. So we can do the Gary Wright hits, uh, Your Love, Love is Alive. Yeah, great song. Weaver stuff. So we've got a lot of material to pull from. And I don't want to talk too much about it because it's not out there yet. But it, that's what we're working on. Well, I, I'll tell you Alan's what. he's the drummer.
0: Uh, well, he's. Well, say hello for me. We're connected by uh, four strings and a. F- <laughs> by ant whistle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you should do Midnight Blue. the want to lose solo songs. Great, that's, great. That's number. That's number two in the list. <laughs> there it is. There, there you go. That's. I mean, that's great. That's that's really great. Um, well, you know, down here in Florida, it's charity land down here, you know, and um, they're always looking for exciting acts that uh, have that kind of flavor. So, I, I mean, it's not not charity for us, you know, we get get paid fundraisers, but they pay uh, like great for great acts. When you the put money, it together, man,
1: yeah, good. I'll put it, you know, I'll cruise, put the you know, cru- the cruise lines, there's a huge market. Yeah, yeah, so and I'll tell right you right now, we're just we got to wait. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'll tell you an interesting thing about the cruise lines, and I'll tell you uh, my uh, this an interesting thing about this whole uh pandemic. Um, when I moved down here to Florida, I thought, you know, okay, you cross the border, they give you a Cadillac and a cigar, and then you you know, get fat and get a tan, and it didn't go that way at all. I got really active and wound up doing a whole lot of stuff and playing with a whole lot of different people, and um. But but before it really took off, I, I've always been an artist. I've always done, you know, abstract art since I'm a, a kid. And somebody saw some of it and said, man, have you shown that to anybody? I said, eh, I think my mother's seen it. You know, he said, no, no, no. Anyway, long story short, he gets me into showing art in these galleries and this whole thing and all these snooty art people, really different than anything I've ever done before. And, uh... Then he says to me, "You know, this this art would look great on shirts." And huh. so I thought, "Well, okay," but I was, didn't want to do T-shirts. So you'll see when you get the package, you'll it's in a box and it's way over the top. Everything's
1: like, you'll see. But, um. Hey, after all these years, I was seeing you on Facebook and I was seeing Mark Rivera, our friend. Our friend. And he, he was wearing your shirts. So that's when I started thinking about Steve Longo a lot, you know, because I would see it on Facebook a lot. So I knew we were going to connect. So here was we are. Inevitable. Yeah, no, no, no. And Christmas
0: will come early this year. But so anyway, yeah. I. You know, because I'm down here, all the cruise lines go out of Miami. I, I mean, so I well, think. Right. Okay, and I had everything imported. Everything's in. You know, I got a little uh, place where I keep everything, and um, I make a, a deal with with a cruise line company. It's not one cruise line. It's they're the people that supply all the stores for all the cruise legends, ships.
1: Legends of Rock. Oh, the, that's the that's the tour. Well, that's what I did. I was that's the my last gig with Frampton was in 2015, no 16, and we did the Legends of Rock number four. And, ah. and I hooked up with my old buddy from Grand Funk Railroad, Max Carl, who's now replaced Mark Farner as the lead singer. And he's my old friend from the Bowling days in Colorado. Yeah, I've Incredible done more than singer. my share
0: of gigs with Mark.
1: So. uh You know, the cruise line thing, that was the last gig I did with Peter doing the Legends of Rock. Wow. Well, I was
0: about to stock all these high-end luxury cruise ships with my shirts, had the guy sent me the contract, the whole thing, all this and that. That's got to
1: be a huge market for you. you Yeah,
0: except if I had COVID-19 all over it. If they if they, I mean it right before I was gonna make
1: this deal, the
0: thing just the it just swept
1: over everything so well, I was so lucky to go to Japan in February and we got back on the eve of the of the shit storm yeah it's nuts that's a nice piece that's a tapestry it's just a yeah it it's it looks better it's just cloth, but it looks incredible yeah. It's good. <laughs> Yeah, that it was, was so yeah. cool to be back in Japan. You know they loved our show. We, you know Waddy is a huge star there because he plays with uh, Russ Kunkel and Lee Sklar and immediate family. Yeah, and that's how we, that's how Ronin got our in to back to Japan because we had done a tour there, one tour called California Live with Ronstadt, James Taylor, J.D. <laughs> Souther, and Ronin. <laughs> wow. Because everybody in Ronan was playing with either James,
0: Linda, or JD. Yeah, see, we did the, we did a rock and roll version of that like oh uh, eight, you know oh eight, oh nine, ten, eleven. Only we did it. I did it with two of the guys in ACDC. I, I used my trio and then played with Cliff and Brian and then played with uh, Mark Farner and then uh, God, we were out. Uh, Joel Turner and Buck. Eddie Money and Buck Dharma. I mean, we did a... Jack Bruce. It was yeah. nuts. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah.
1: So, now we've lost a lot of those guys. Man, I'm no I'm glad kidding. Buck Dharma's still around. He was on your show the other night.
0: Yeah, good old Buck. Man, he's, uh, he's, he's one of those guys that's going to just always be there gigging. And uh, he loves to play. He's a good guy.
1: Well, let's hope, you know, the ones of us that are still here... You know, it's it's bittersweet, and we, we really have to. And it's poignant because we've lost we lost Jamie Oldacre yesterday, and, and then the day before that, Peter Frampton Sound Guy died. That many years sound at front house mixer. And uh, but the musicians, you know, we're not going to last forever. So you look healthy. I'm really glad to see you looking so. Yeah, no, I'm so I'm I'm doing good. Felt. <laughs> In shape. I, I don't do drugs anymore. I don't do
0: them any less. want to no. buy
1: some? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, no. I, I listen. You know what? Now that it's legal, that was my that was my whole thing was smoking pot. I was always a pothead. You got to remember that because if you were around me, you smelled it because there was no vaping back in the day. It was like you know, let's get crushed, and uh,
1: we laughed a lot. We laughed a lot. Hey man, I, I'm excited to have a glass of white wine these days, and that's that's it for me.
0: Hey, man, whatever, you know what, whatever gets you down the street, Uh, we're not all saints, we do what we do, we did what we did, and we're going to do what we're going to do, so let's have at it, right? Well, we're still here. Amen, amen, and you look tremendous, bro, you look healthy, and are you working
1: out, are you staying fit? You know, when I came back here in 19, back to Kansas where I am, I enrolled at the university here, I was Came home with my tail between my legs, drug addicted to heroin
0: yeah. and,
1: and everything else. And I knew I had to leave the business for a while. This was 1988, right after you and I were hanging out. And uh, I got home and I rolled at KU and I spent 10 years working on a degree in Latin American studies and environmental studies. And I studied uh, slave society in the Caribbean, master's work. And I studied the rhythms of Cuba and Brazil, and it was the best decade of my life. And I got clean and sober, and then I started playing again after that. You know, the first gig I got after that, uh, Peter had called me up, and I even before that, I got an audition with Delbert McClinton, and I I got the gig, and I went and auditioned in Nashville after not being in the biz for like 10, 15 years at that level. Wow, man. And Delbert is plays with, with the most spectacular Nashville cream of the crop, and it was a feather in my cap, man, to get that gig for a year. And then I got, you know, they, they let me go because they were waiting for their other guy uh. <laughs> to, to come off the road. They don't tell you that part, but, well, you man, know, I got you to do what?
0: it. At least, you, at least you brought the goods and you still had them. That's what counts, man,
1: you know? Well, exactly. So I felt that that gave me the – it encouraged me that I hadn't lost it and there's still – you know, life's not over yet. (laughs) Uh, And then Crafting, then we got – I got back together with Peter for another six-year run, and now Ronan, and, you know, so – We've got stuff to look forward to there's plenty of stuff to look forward to believe me you, oh, yeah. you, wait till you
0: hang out in here with me for a while after things clean I want to
1: come down to Florida come on
0: Steve. come on down it's I mean you know it, it's my place is it's compact and efficient and we have a good time and it's like short walk to the kitchen <laughs>
1: it's all I good. moved there I was living in bell Harbor. In nineteen or two thousand, year two thousand, right after I graduated with my master's work, I was gonna continue PhD work and I moved to Florida. I was playing with Venezuelans and playing salsa. Wow. And I just got so deep into it, I said, I'm gonna to move to Miami. And you know, that that whole Latin groove, I've always been into that groove. Tommy Boland got me into that groove. I I love Latin, I believe me. I it's one of the things that talents. Yeah, it's it's
0: awesome. I mean, uh, you know, from Miami si- uh, Sound Machine all the way to the deep deep stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, it's it's just it sits me up. That's for sure.
1: So I moved down there. I only lasted like three months. I said I don't want. I can't continue PhD. Enough of the college stuff. I've got to. I've got to start playing again. So I moved back to Kansas, and you know, shortly thereafter, I. That's when I got the idea. Maybe I could. Try to audition
0: with somebody in Nashville. So, yeah. Well, why not, man? I mean, you know, you're you, you've got the pedigree, certainly, and uh, why yeah, not? Great. Yeah, you. Yeah, look, you still look like a kid. I'm a I feel kid. you know. Yeah, you well, music keeps us young, right? Amen. It uh, it does. It, it does. What <laughs> what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Hell yeah. Okay, so now let's connect the the base dots because you told me that. Uh, you had an Ent whistle thing. So that, that for me, that started in 87 for me.
1: Well, see, and you can... Uh, you'll give me a little history lesson here because I knew that about you, but I don't know a lot of details. I know that Joe Vitali, when he left Barnstorm, started a band, uh, his own band. He had a record called Roller Coaster Weekend, and Joey put his own band together, and they were opening for, for The Who, and he meant Entwistle. Mm-hmm. And then Joey started was it the band ox yeah ox yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's when vitali met. do you know joe vitali
0: yeah must sure. have i mean incidentally yeah. but yeah i know him i certainly know no uh uh walsh so well, i'm sure he knows about your connection to antwistle you know? yeah well we played a few we played in a few different situations me and, and walsh so uh yeah there's the connection he's uh uh, I'll tell you an interesting Walsh story. And the next time you see Joe, ask him about this. Do you, by, right. by any chance, remember his girlfriend, Lisa? Really gorgeous looking girl. Um, dark hair. Really
1: pretty. Are you talking about Vitaly or Walsh? No, Walsh. Yeah, I don't... You know, his wife died a... Tra- or their child died a tragic accident oh. in Colorado. Oh. Just a two-year-old infant child in a car accident. Okay. Well, we'll so do... after that, I I didn't I didn't know who Joe's uh, ladies were for a while until he met up with Ringo's uh, Ringo's wife's sister. So in between, right. I, I don't know who the girls uh, were.
0: Well, yeah, Catherine Bach. Um, but he, uh, well, you know what? It's it's he was with this girl, and she wound up getting connected to Entwistle, and and she it was just. Craziness. She, Joe. I think realized he wanted to straighten things out. I want to, you know, I don't want to play this game anymore. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna clean it up. And so Lisa was a little too crazy for Joe, because she didn't want to clean it up. So John got her, and duh, John ended up with Lisa. Yeah, and it was like, believe me, that's is that.
1: Who she is? That who he was with in in Vegas? No.
0: No. (laughs) Why would that be? No, he was with... Well, I don't know. I'm
1: just asking because I don't know.
0: I'm pulling you left. I'll tell you, you know, what happened. I mean, Lisa, she was... In the beginning, they were, like, really happy and everything was really good. And Lisa got caught up in the garbage just like everybody else. I mean, you know, we're all human and we all did what we did. But she just went over the side. And because Entwistle had the kind of liquid that he had... You know she was able to you know kind of maintain that joe walsh thing that they were doing for whatever and and it just eventually it really started to take its toll on john and the thing what happened in um in vegas was he, he was with a dancer or whatever you know i mean it was a you know road tag but um he had a heart attack and you know i know john better than most people in the third act he of had his a life.
1: heart attack
0: he had a heart attack, yeah, but but I know, I wasn't because he, w- he would have had the same heart attack if he was in the gym. Because he had a condition. Had, he had a 90, 275s and a 90 blockage in his, you know, he should, if he had gone to the doctor, he probably would still be alive. But, you know, and some people say, what killed Entwistle? Being Entwistle killed Entwistle. Every piece of fried chicken, every freaking, you know, cigarette, every shot, every, you know... It's life. He wears you down. So, at the end of the day, it was a heart attack. But and they said cocaine fueled heart attack. I know, John. He didn't blow like that. But the blow in England, as you will know, was crap. And the blow in Vegas, I don't know. Well, well, wow. I'm sure you've heard. Sure, you've heard. (laughs) Yeah, I heard. But the (laughs) but the, (laughs) but the blow in Vegas was not crap. And that could have have you ever too.
1: been down there in South America? Oh my God. Yeah.
0: Oh. Uh-huh. I believe, yeah. oh.
1: oh. I see you're studying. Oh hey. you know something? Ant whistle, I'll never leave a mark like that guy did. He was he was a he's a giant amongst bass players. And he'll never there's there's only one ant whistle.
0: Yeah, true story, man. And like and you'll—I I didn't know you didn't know how we started playing. I very quick. Well, um, I know he's a
1: French horn player.
0: Oh yeah, that he—that's where he said he had all the brass instruments. He—he he was. That's yeah. why this this that, translates to this. That's what Pete said. Pete said, "Yeah, this, this. Who knows? That's exactly what what Townsend said." But um, and I, I got to remind you about the the movie. But with with that whistle, um, we had a... We. Had a friend who jammed with him at Music Mesa in Germany, and he the the friend said to John, "You got to meet this band because we did Who covers when we were kids and all that stuff." Rat so race. he he it took Rat Race Choir. So he comes and whistle comes to uh, Summer NAM at McCormick Place in Chicago, and I said, you know, we met him and the whole thing, and he was cool, all you know, rock. He was that, and I said to him, "You want to jam?" And he said, "Any time." So that for me was a license to steal. I'm running all over Nam saying, "Hey, I'm playing with John Himmels, so We're looking for a jam." <laughs> and bang, you know, and that's how it started. And he said, "And it was the Vic Theater. We played at the Vic Theater, and it was just me and him." This it's it's a funny story, but it's a long story. So I don't want to take up the whole night with it. But um, we arrive. Uh, I go over to Kramer. Right? You remember Kramer back in the '80s? Big right? And yeah. they said, we're doing the Nam Jam. We've got uh, we've got Eddie Van Halen and Leslie West and all the Kramer artists. And uh, we'd love to have John Entwistle. So I said, great. So they send me a limousine, right? Because I got to go pick John up, right? And I'm staying in like the five and dime motel because we, at the last minute, we couldn't get any hotel. So the freaking stretch that they sent was longer than the front of the, uh, the motel. I go pick Entwistle up at the Drake. And he goes, oh, what's this? And I said, ah, oh, they sent a ride for us. We pull into... Uh, the back alley of um, the Vic Theater, we go down the stairs, there's security all over the place, but he can't see where we are. We get ushered down a row of dressing rooms and into a room, and he goes, "Uh, oh, what are we going to play? And I said, well, we'll play some Who songs, and he said, I don't know any. And I said, well, we'll teach them to you. So the other guys in the band show up, they all come into the dressing room, and he has no idea that there's like 5,000 people at this ridiculous, you know, at the Vic Theater. I'm sure you've done a gig there. or Anyway, so the guys come in and we're talking down live at Leeds and all the, <clears throat> the live stuff and all the, the stuff that we used to play. And he says, you guys even learned the mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> learned the mistakes? It, it happened every time we played the record. I love it. Yeah, so then and we just became... So it was like you and me, man. Drums and bass. Who were the other guys? Um, well, in the beginning, in 87, it was Rat Race. Um, so it was Mark Hitt and Dave Camella, and I, yeah, I think we used different keyboard players on that. But then I joined his band. I replaced Zach Starkey in his solo band, and that was Henry Small from... Uh, tra- from uh, I remember that name. Yeah, he was. I forget his band, Trapeze or Triad, something about three from Canada, oh, okay. and Timmy Gorman on keys, who used to be the keyboard player for the Who, and uh, a Mark Adams, who's now uh, a Hollywood composer named Devin Powers, and myself and and John, and we did that for year, for '88, and uh, it, we were trying to get. A deal for the album that he had just finished and that didn't happen and then we just put the end whistle band together and just went out and played and you know made records whenever we could recorded whenever we could and it was uh it was great and we played some you know we played the places the sheds and all that it was
1: freaking great oh man you you got to experience something really special with a really special guy well
0: yeah I mean I don't you know that I tell you what it's been I, I knew him he's been dead longer than I've I knew him I knew him 15 years like to the day and it astounds me because we really became it was like you and me instant friends. I mean, we're you know, we weren't playing tennis, but we did we did go bowling once, which is another story. <laughs> um, I should tell you that story because it's funny. That's um, another show, maybe. Yeah, it's another, another show, show. But but he, you, you remember the Simpsons? Uh, the Who did an episode of the Simpsons, and the guy who draws the Simpsons sent everybody bowling balls, right? So John said <laughs> I learned to bowl. And he what? But he didn't use the Simpson ball. He got a crystal clear ball with a skull in it. Man. I love it. Yeah. Oh, it's it. Believe me, there's a. It's a hysterical story. But so yeah. So well, you know, let's um. God, man, did I tell you that hour was going to fly?
1: Mm. I knew it would. I like doing this kind of stuff.
0: Well, I gotta ask you my. Uh, I have to ask. What's what? My question, my yeah. See, with, if you don't have a producer, I'll be in here all day. <laughs> i just keep talking okay my questions because you have traveled the globe my friend favorite restaurant on the road hmm i know none of us were eating very much out there but you know when we were
1: i mean i was just in japan but i can't remember the name of the place well, you know well, that's I, all right. I love the i love sushi but i'll never remember the name i, I I've eaten at so many great restaurants in obscure places. There's one in Charlotte. Uh, uh, I can't. It's a fish restaurant of all things. I can't remember the name of it. But how about just Fat Burger? Fat
0: Burger works. I I was talking to the bass player from the Good Rats, and he he said Bob Evans. So you know you're fine. Fat Burger.
1: The original Fat Burger was on La Cienega, Yeah. If you remember. I you do. probably remember. I do. I do. And before it became and branched out into the valley and everywhere. But the original Fat Burger, uh, God, those things were good.
0: Yeah, they were. I'm, I'm, I'm,
1: I've been vegan, you know, for years. I was
0: going to say, man, you can't be eating Fat Burgers and be in that shape. You're in good shape. Well, back bro. I then could I could. <laughs> yeah, well, right, Because we were. <laughs> Well, we were doing all kinds of crazy things to compensate, but... So that's all one. I got.
1: Contemporary
0: restaurants? I don't know. I, that's all right. I well, haven't was... been on the road for a few months. Well, that's okay. You can When we do the next uh, installment, you can tell me again. Song that you love. Favorite song to play live?
1: With any band? Any band. Hmm. You know, Jamie Oldacre just passed away. I did know that, yeah. And someone posted a a version of of Frampton's uh, uh, signature song, Lines on My Face. And it was Jamie. Jamie was playing drums at a show in, in, uh, where was it? Somewhere in Oakland. Oakland Theater. Oakland, California. And it's the best performance of, of Lines on My Face. It rivals the... Sioma's version on the live album. It, it's just an incredible... Jamie was, had his special touch. He had and, a you nice know, touch, you know, Jamie, remember. yeah. All the and it's and the stuff. best version of lines on my face I've ever heard.
0: Yeah. Okay, so there you go. And the song that you never want to play again ever in your life. I don't ever want to play that song again.
1: <laughs> Show me the way.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Now let's see. All right. Well, there's only a couple more. And I probably don't ever have to play it again, no, trust me. Chances are, <laughs> chances are, wow, that's funny. Um, okay, let's see. Instrument, other than yours, if you had to play something else in the band, what would
1: it be? Well, you know, I I spent a summer learning, taught myself how to play the sax and the flute, and I got pretty good. Really? I'm not a bad flute player. Well, they I'd be pr- well-pressed to deliver right now, but... Well, I got pretty good over summer. So I love the, the sax and flute, you know, like like traffic, that kind of
0: stuff. Yeah, and that's two. I mean, that's two different embouchures: the flute and and a reed. That's wild. But it's
1: the same fingering. It's the same, exact same
0: fingering. Yes. Wow, uh, that I did. see. You learn something. Learn something every day here on the show, kids. Yes, you certainly do. I do learn something every day here on the show, kids. Rock and roll, show and tell. And uh, it's a pleasure sharing it with you. So that was Stanley Sheldon. I'm Steve Longo. And if I don't see you in the future, I'll see you in the pasture.